I was at a restaurant with a group of people the other day, and the guy next to me had poison ivy all over his forearms, and it was quite gross. Everything was all red and bubbly. Just the sight I wanted to see while eating my salmon. Couldn't this guy wear a long sleeve shirt? Or did he think he was enhancing my dinner experience? Oh, yeah. Why don't you just go flash a light on your forearms for all to see? Or go ahead and just rub it right on my food. Go ahead. Or better yet, why don't you take one of those shiny, gigantic poison bubbles and squeeze it. And squirt it right on my dinner. Like a chef might sprinkle chopped fresh herbs or drizzle some olive oil. Yeah, go right ahead. You might as well because I'm not eating it anyway. Grossing me out like that. Did he do that on purpose? Hey, living and watching in today's society, don't we see the writing on the on the wall that the end is near? Because every legitimate wholesome activity or organization in life is under attack where the powers that be are attempting to make good into evil and evil into good. The whole thing's upside down and backwards. Everything is topsy-turvy. I'm thinking if you don't see it, you got to be blind. And because it's right there in front of our, our faces. When, when I think of that phrase, the writing on the wall, I think of that Babylonian king having a huge feast with all his buddies. With everybody feeding their face and getting drunk in the palace. This guy then further antagonized God by taking all the gold and silver cups, bottles, and silverware out of the temple in Jerusalem and using them for his great party. As they were praising their many gods that they happened to have at the time. Well, while they were all doing that, something crazy happened The Bible says, suddenly, opposite the lampstand, the fingers of a human hand appeared, writing on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. Can you imagine this giant hand writing on the wall? That would be a little freaky and scary, wouldn't it? The book says, when the king saw the wrist and hand that wrote, his face blanched, his thoughts terrified him, His hip joints shook and his knees knocked. Now, after the king saw the writing on the wall, he wanted somebody to interpret it because he couldn't. He didn't know what it meant. In fact, nobody knew except God's buddy, Daniel. But what Daniel told him, he did not like. He said, the end of your kingdom is coming quickly. He said that the kingdom would be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, which later became one unit known as the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel also told the king, whose name was Belshazzar, Belshazzar, that's a nice name, I like that name. He told him that he has been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, what does that mean? Well, he was weighed on the scale of God's judgment where he was evaluated by God and found to be deficient or incomplete. He was found not to have the godly qualities of kindness, caring, and love, along with loyalty and trust in God Almighty. And because of that, he would lose his kingdom. And on top of that, he would be killed that very night. You see, King Belshazzar was not humble of heart, who rebelled against the Lord plenty of times, along as I mentioned, stole from the temple and praised other gods. So he got what was coming to him, as we all will get the same type of medicine if we deny and blatantly disobey Jesus. But there won't be this huge hand that notifies us of our demise, because we now have the full Bible to tell us so. Now, when I think of a hand by itself, I think of the hand on the Adams family. The creepy and the kooky. 
I'm wondering who that hand actually belonged to coming out of that little cigar box thing. I think it was Hillary's or Dr. Fauci's because as we both know, they were actors playing a part, giving us fake information. So before they got hired as political and medical actors, they had to take any work that was available, right? So I'm thinking that hand belonged to one of those characters. The creepy and okay. Which did you like better, the Adams family or the Munsters? Both quite charming, wouldn't you say? Who did you think was hotter, Morticia or Lily? Maybe too close to call since they were both cut from the same cloth. So in time, Daniel became one of the big shots of the kingdom. And when that happens, you always got people jealous of you, looking to take you down. And this situation was no different. The kingdom administration underneath Daniel plotted and schemed to eliminate him. So they came up with a royal decree. The book says, no one is to address any petition to God or man for 30 days. Otherwise, he shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, Daniel, being a man of character, totally disregarded this bogus rule because he prayed to God every day of his life and wasn't about to stop for something that was devised only to incriminate him. So he continued to pray and was eventually brought to the king who had no other choice but to throw him into the den of lions because he signed this new law that was now in place. But as we know, God saved Daniel from the den of lions as he came out unharmed in any way. Now, what happened next was a little bit of the turning of the tables because the book says the king then ordered the men who had accused Daniel along with their children and their wives to be cast into the lion's den. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Man, what a way to go. What would you do if you were thrown into a cage full of wild animals? I think I'd quickly walk on all fours and try to act like one of them. Hopefully the lions would think I was just an ugly cousin or something. Or think maybe I had rabies, which caused me to look the way I did to the point where they wouldn't eat me, thinking they might catch whatever disease I had. Yeah, I think that would work, don't you? You know, the lions thing. Who, who don't like lions, tigers, and bears? They're all beautiful, if not sexy creatures. Now, they just are, but then they're, sometimes they're used for dastardly deeds, like feeding people to them, like Caesar did. And that one dude, what was that one Caesar, the bad guy? He started a fire in uh, Rome and blamed it on the Christians. Nero? Yeah, that guy. Doing things left and right. I heard in the Colosseum, besides the gladiators and feeding people to the lions, they also had the capacity inside that Colosseum to fill up the stadium, so to speak, whatever you call it, with water. With water, and then they brought in ships, and they had battles amongst the ships on the water. Like real uh, Caribbean stuff. The Pirates of the Caribbean, where they would fight in the, in, the, in the waters in the Pacific, or the Atlantic, or the Caribbeans, rather, down by South America. Wouldn't that be cool? I didn't know they, they did that kind of thing. I'd go to see that, wouldn't you? And I guess they played to the death. Whether it's the Christians being thrown or or the boats. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting time and place. It's another day above ground. For me, Fred, my wife, and her 17-year-old princess cat, who will probably outlive the both of us. Maybe I should put her in my will. I was never too fond of cats. But hey, the things I do for love and the things God does for me. I'd be pushing up daisies long ago if it wasn't for him. As I look back, he has gotten me through so much trouble in my life. 
I can see clearly now and I'm grateful, even though we'll never fully know all that God has done for us. From Cradle to Coffin, thank God for God. And yes, I'm even grateful for the cat, even though she sheds all the time. On my couch, no less. Martha, Martha, get in here. I told you to keep her off the couch. Hey cat, get off of my couch. Get off my couch. Look at her. She doesn't move. I'm talking to myself here. Martha, Martha, where are you? Oh, the things I do for love. The things I do for love. Yeah, this is Don't Bring Up God. My name is Robert. I'm here with the board guy every Sunday from 8 to 9 in the morning. Don't forget the podcast if you want to check that out. Simply search Don't Bring Up God podcast. My wifey poo just texted me. Yeah, she did. She can't she can't bear to be without me. She needs to be by my side, whether physically or in spirit, every second of her life. Hey, who can blame her? <laughs> oh, she must like that one. I was listening to a uh, Pastor Paul from the Calvary Chapel in Ontario, and he was talking about what constitutes a marriage according to the Bible. And I'm talking about a marriage and not necessarily about a wedding and reception. What exactly has to happen, and at what point is a man and a woman married in God's eyes? The book says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, at the time, there was no church, priest, wedding rings, or marriage license. Many times throughout history, there was not even this concept of being in love, because parents would set up their kids to get married. Yeah, that would be a, that was a regular thing setting them up. It was in one form or another an arrangement for survival going forth to be fruitful and multiply, as God said, but mostly to take care of the farm. Now, early in the Bible, in Genesis, Jacob was quoted as saying that he had fallen in love with a woman named Rachel and then later consummated their marriage, which was to have sex. So definitions and procedures of marriage and weddings seem to have developed over time. Now, in Moses' era... There existed a decree of divorce, but no decree of marriage was ever mentioned back then. No paperwork on it was was given, none, none whatsoever. I don't believe so. If I'm wrong, somebody give me a call. Feel free. You can correct me anytime you like. The number is 610-720-7900 or whatever's on your mind. Now, as far as the wedding and celebration is concerned, I don't think anything's wrong with that and, you know, with doing that because Jesus himself went to a wedding, as we all know. But that was after the fact of a man and a woman getting married. So what really is a marriage? Well, the Bible explains it as a promise and a covenant with your spouse along with and especially with God. It's a commitment and celebration of faithfulness with God. And God is an actual witness. He was there. And as he told Adam and Eve and Noah's gang off the boat, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And that still applies today with those who are able. Having babies is a good thing. In an atmosphere of concern and love, the family unit. So we're engaged in something that God created for us, and we're not to tamper with it in any way or change it into something that it's not. And you all know what I'm talking about. We need to respect the institution of marriage, as they say. Yeah, and honor it and consider it sacred between a man and a woman and with God. Now, when talking about the Bible, God says that People who get a divorce more than anything else are faithless, faithless to their spouse and to God, breaking faith, drastically changing the dynamic of what God created and of what you willingly agreed to. And because of that, you lose favor with God. 
if you engage in a divorce. The book says, you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Again, God was there to witness your marriage, your commitment, and covenant. He was the most important witness of all, even more than the priest presiding over your ceremony. So we got to get it through our head that it's not just a promise with you and your spouse. And hey, if it doesn't work out, we'll just go our separate ways, figuring no harm, no foul. Well, there is a harm and there is a foul, a very critical one that you aren't even recognizing as a problem. What you're doing is ignoring and throwing away God's design and obeying and adhering to God's design is part of loving him by being obedient to him. Somebody asked me the other day about remarrying after divorce. Would, would I be committing adultery if I do that? And the answer is yes, especially since the reason for the divorce was him cheating on his wife. He thought he found a loophole because the Bible says God hates divorce and forbids it from the very beginning unless in the case of sexual lewdness. But the lewdness was self-inflicted by him. You can't get away with that. I asked him how old he was, and he said 57. I told him he has to figure out what's more important to him. Abiding by God's commandments, getting to heaven in the best light possible, or satisfying your human desires on earth. So you're no longer able, according to God, to get married for the rest of your life. I mean, if that's the case, is, is that really that bad? Is that so bad? Especially at the age of 57. Especially since God has something better in store for you to do. Now, just because you can't get married doesn't mean you can't have great caring friendships with men and women for support in life, which we all need to some degree. The point is, don't see your human nature desires on a higher priority than your desire to please God. And to be as close to Jesus as possible. Because you now have the opportunity to be a living example and advocate of doing the right thing. Of following the word of God. Proving to one and all that yes, you are a servant. And that the most important thing in your life is pleasing the Lord. Especially since the end appears to be nearer and nearer, don't you think? And when the end of this life on earth comes upon us, are restaurants going to still be around or are they going to be a thing of the past? Restaurants like I talked about earlier. Personally, I hope that they're not. I hope they're gone because I'm not really fond of them. A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me, as they always do, hey, hey, Robert, what did you order? First of all, what do you really care why are you asking me that? Because when you get right down to it, it's really none of your business what I order, is it? Ah, oh, no, it's not. But nevertheless, I humored him and told him, and then he just stares at me waiting, waiting for me to ask him what he ordered. Again, I don't really care what he eats. I don't care if he ordered every item on the menu. I don't care if he ordered more silverware to eat. Don't care. So what I decided to do is ask him, well, what is your wife having? And then I asked the guy next to him, excuse me, excuse me, uh, what did you order, if I may ask? I asked everybody at the table what they ordered except him. Maybe he'll learn a lesson. I think people want to be asked what they order to show off, to make sure you know that they ordered the most expensive meal on the menu, something that cost $89 for one plate of food. Well, no, I'm not going to indulge him. No, I'm making a stand. Maybe you should too. One last thing about this marriage stuff with Pastor Paul up in Canada after listening to him, I'm, I'm hearing and thinking, 
that a man and a woman can be married without all the rigmarole, without all the pomp and circumstance, if they are serious and sincere, making a forever pact with each other and God, then that's all that's really necessary. Although you should have a handful of witnesses, according to this Pastor Paul that I, that I listened to. So it seems you can get married in the traditional way with all the craziness that's attached to it and not really be married in God's eyes because you either didn't take it seriously or just outright were godless. So once again, according to Pastor Paul, a godly marriage between a Christian man and a woman without the wedding or or presiding pastor can be more legitimate than a marriage with a $60,000 price tag on the wedding and reception attached to it. You get what I'm saying here? I guess as usual, we all have to decide for ourselves, but it's definitely something to think about. And remember, we will not be given in marriage in heaven as the book says. And that makes sense if you think about it, because according to our wedding vows, it says, till death do us part, doesn't it? Well, when you die, you will be parted and no longer considered married. That makes sense? Well, if not, let's just move, let's just, let's just say that it did and move on. But back to marriage for a moment. Did your mom or dad or in-laws interfere much? But uh, my parents uh, were very good at that to the point where I look back and wish that they, they did interject more and give advice. Because many times parents know what's coming down the pike for another married couple. And sound experienced counsel is always welcomed, at least for me. And I know a husband and wife need to work things out on their own, but that doesn't mean you don't listen to anybody's advice. And parents, you know, they can be subtle and brief with their recommendations because they went through everything a newly married couple goes through. They've been there and done that, so why wouldn't the kids listen? I think it would be wise to, uh, and, and uh, rather I, I don't think it would be wise to shut your parents and in-laws out under any circumstances because I think in the end you're only hurting yourself and maybe going through some disaster that might have been avoided with the proper instruction. And if that instruction happens to come from your parents or in-laws, then so be it. Don't be so pig-headed to close your ears to what they have to say where one day after they're dead and buried, you say to yourself, oh, I should have, would have, could have. Because then it will be absolutely too late. I don't want to brag, but yes, I am God of this world. I call the shots to give everybody instant satisfaction and pleasure. Never mind how temporary it may be. I would like to give out an award today. An Oscar, if you will, a Beelzebub for best liar with a straight face, destroying others while building up yourself, having delusions of godhood, destroying the United States, and for pretending to lead with a clear defective brain. The nominees are Dr. Grouchy, Bill Hates, Klaus Slob, George Moros, and Joe Hayden. And the winner is... There must be some mistake. It says all of the above. This decision cannot stand. If nobody wants this Beelzebub award, then I'll accept it. Since I motivate all wicked evildoers to do what they do, I'd like to thank the Academy, my demons and fallen angels, 
I'd like to thank my... This is Don't Bring Up God. My name is Robert. We got a call at 610-720-7900. Who's this? Well, good morning, Robert. This is Will, and I'm asking about one of the greatest podcasts I ever heard, which you got to host. It was the one with Arthur Pulowski. I was not listening to that live. I was on vacation. I was so glad to hear that podcast. I listened to it over and over again. And uh, I wanted to, first of all, tell you, wow, to get a guest like that, that was fantastic. And all the guests that called in and talked to him, I was like, yeah, we all got it right. Do you have any latest news on him? I am curious if you know more about him, if you followed up lately. First of all, thank you. I have listened to that podcast also a number of times. Man, the things that came out of his mouth were so godly. I was so impressed with him. Me too. That's why I'm saying it was so... And you, to get him as a guest, I mean, wow. Well, I called him. I I, I tracked down a phone number and I called him and he just answered. It was a beautiful thing. It was like set up prior by God, maybe. But yeah, he's... he's, uh, If you check him up on uh, Facebook, uh, Arthur Palowski Facebook, you'll get information on him, among other social media outlets i believe he's running i don't believe i know he's running for office up in canada he's trying to attack the problem that way and fighting against the system and making changes that way along with doing his pastor pastoral duties and feeding the poor mm-hmm. okay well that's why i don't know anything more about him i've looked on youtube but I don't do Facebook, so that's the thing. Well, he made quite a stir two or three years ago. I mean, he was all over the news. And I, I got shivers up and down my spine as he was yelling at those those Gumby uh, military or law enforcement agencies, whatever they were. He yelled at them and told them to get out of his church. And they whimpered away following orders and didn't know quite what to do. But later they arrested him. And he's such a fighter. He's an inspiration to all of us. Yes, he sure is. Well, keep in touch with him. See if you can get him for a second time. It would be absolutely amazing to hear from him again. All right. Well, thank you for your comments. I appreciate it. Thank you for your wonderful show. God bless you. Anybody else that wants a buzz? We always welcome newcomers and, and new callers. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It inspires myself to hear new blood. But the old blood is fine, too. Anyone that wants to give a call, the number is 610-720-7900. I was talking to a friend who said that he's an organ donor. He wants all his organs to go to science. And then he wants all his bones to go to some biology class. Remember in biology, there there would always be a hanging full skeleton of bones? Yeah, he tells me, I want to be that guy. Quite a lofty aspiration, wouldn't you say? Who, who would ever want to be that guy? He said when a hot, stuck-up, snobby, good-looking girl would come into class early, he would then rattle his bones and scare her. So she'd run away to the guidance counselor begging for psychological help. I guess that's how he would get back at uh, all the good-looking snobs like snobs many years earlier who ignored him for a full four years of high school. Now, I hate to say this, but if you knew my friend back then, you would ignore him too. And not just for his greasy hair and odor, but many other things. Take my word for it, but don't tell him. Now, Jesus, as we know, was called many derogatory things as he walked this planet 2,000 years ago. He was accused of being a drunk, insane, and possessed. It was primarily the Pharisees who called him these names when they didn't like what Jesus was saying. Just like nowadays with the politicians, especially in their debates when it's time for re-election, they get incredibly nasty by calling everybody names because if they can label you a derogatory term, then they are that much ahead of you in the polls. Because if it sticks, the majority of the people will believe it, whether it's true or not. It's how you present it and how many times you say it over and over again. Doesn't matter if it's true. It's just how you play the game. 
How sickening is that? This name-calling has always been going on with adults, along with children in grade school. And there's no difference now, just as there was no difference in Jesus' time. As Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Hey, we got a call at 610-720-7900. Who's this? This is Larry Rob. How are you? What's up, Larry? All right. Um, good news. It seems as though that every topic you come on with every Sunday, God really put that on your mind. The two topics you talk on today, marriage and the end times, it is right on the mark. But I came across a book this week called Total Forgiveness. Hey, can you lower your radio in the back? If you can lower that, we get you clearer. Go ahead. Yeah, it's better. Uh, the book name is Total Forgiveness. And it brings you back to Matthew chapter 6. What the book showed me is that there were three levels of forgiveness. One is I will forgive you, but I won't forget you. One is I will forgive you for half of what you did to me, but there's some hurts that I ain't going to forget. And then the third one is I forgive you and I ask my Father in heaven to forgive you. That is total forgiveness. And he draw reference to Jesus on the cross after they were mocking him and calling him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come off the cross. Free yourself and give us a sign. So that is a book that we all need to read because what happened is we have been fooling ourselves in Christianity thinking, well, we know the scriptures, but we don't walk by the scriptures. So I'd leave you with that. Just a, a thought uh, the book name again is Total Forgiveness. And, and the thing about... Uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I said and, have a great well, day. Well, okay. The thing, the thing about forgiveness is you have to first confess your sin. You have to identify your sin because a lot of people walk around like, I got nothing to confess. I'm all good. I, I'm perfect. Right. You have to confess right. your sin, identify it, know it's a sin, and then ask for forgiveness. Yep. Okay. Thanks for the call. All right, Rob. Have a great day. Take right. care. And also, Jesus was called a blasphemer, talking about name-calling. The book says, At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is a blasphemer. He's blaspheming. Now, a blasphemer is one who mocks God or claims to be one. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus knew what they were thinking because he's God all-knowing. Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Now, right there, if I was a Pharisee, I would slow my roll because I would ask myself, how did he know what I was thinking? Maybe he truly is the son of God who represents God along with being God himself. But that was all way too much for the Pharisees to comprehend. And that brings me up. And that brings me to uh, another important point. You know, we can not comprehend something, but yet still believe it. In fact, as Christians, we're asked to do exactly that from time to time. Do you have that capacity to do so? Now, what was it that Jesus did to the Pharisees to think that he was a blasphemer? Well, he made the claim that he could forgive sins. And as they knew, the only person who can forgive sin is God. So Jesus is saying that, in essence, he is God. The book says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. There you go. And that was the last straw for the Pharisees as they picked up rocks several times to stone and kill Jesus under the accusation of being a blasphemer. Because no way... Could they accept that he was the Messiah, let alone God? Because the Israelites and Judeans were looking for a military man to free them from Roman control. And they they just didn't believe who Jesus was. Now, Jesus, Jesus, uh, 
was was nothing like a military man ruth, ruthlessly killing left and right and freeing the Judeans from uh, the rule of the Romans at the time. No, that wasn't his mission. Instead of being an arrogant killer, he was a humble, kind representative of God the Father. Therefore, much of the people of the day would not accept him. With the added constant brainwashing of the Pharisees with with people that couldn't think for themselves. The Pharisees didn't want to give up their power and control. Just as we don't want to give up our imagined power and control, not to mention our vices that we hold so close to us. Like it's a matter of life and death. It's like when you need to be somewhere at a certain time. Oh, that too is a matter of life and death. Some people are so neurotic that they got to be there exactly to the second. Really? How come when you're 10, 20, even 30 minutes late somewhere, you always say to yourself, you know what? I could have been an hour late and it wouldn't have mattered. Most people aren't even here yet. What was I rushing for? Like a lunatic running two yellows and a red light on the way. Hey, when you run a yellow light, you're taking a chance. Because some 18-wheeler dude on the road for 18 hours who's behind on his schedule is timing that light to change to the split second. As soon as your light turns red as you're halfway through the intersection and his turns green, he ain't slowing down. No, not for nobody. As he coasts right through at 55 miles an hour and hits you and knocks you into three cities over. Yeah, it ain't worth the risk. So let's everybody slow down before you're forced to slow down inside a hospital bed, an ICU bed. That ain't that wouldn't be cool. Switch the radio stations in your dad's car and see what happens. He'll have a conniption. Switch the water in your goldfish bowl with grain alcohol and see what happens. They'll die. This is what we're doing to our little children. Instead of feeding them with godly guidance, we are force-feeding them Satan's poison. Exposing little kids in school to sexual perversions along with genetic bending is unconscionable. It's like referring to your toaster as madam or your garden hose as sir. When does this madness stop? Leave our kids alone. Parents need to step up and defend and protect their children. Tell the powers that be to shut up and show them what a real man and a real woman can do against degenerates. Just like a screw and a nut, they're different. Both have a name, a specific function, and designed to work together. Leave it alone. Did that make sense? This is Don't Bring Up God. We're here every Sunday morning on WIEB, 790 AM, from 8 to 9 in the morning. Yeah, you can catch us there. Uh, don't forget the podcast, like that gentleman said, talking about Arthur Pawlowski. Yeah, the, the, the last 50 to 100 shows are on that thing, and it's all free. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. You can uh, simply get the podcast by searching Don't Bring Up God podcast, and it will come up on plenty of platforms for you. If you want to give a call, the number is 610-720-7900. That's 610-720-7900. And we're talking about people in a rush to get somewhere exactly at 3 o'clock, not a second before or later. You know, to me, it's funny. Most people will rush to some meaningless, inconsequential event with a group of people, but they won't rush or go out of their way for what's going to happen when their life on earth ends. When they're told that they should examine their lives and possibly change their ways by committing their life to Jesus, they're in no rush to do it. Oh, there's plenty of time. I'm still young in my 20s and 30s or 40s. I believe I'll just live it up the way I choose. And when I'm old and gray, then maybe make some adjustments when I absolutely have to. Uh, Really? Is that how you think? Really? You got all the angles covered, do you? Well, what if you're dead by the end of today or next week or in six months? Or two years. What then? You're so confident of your maneuvers that 
You can take your good old time coming to God. I don't think so. The book says, therefore, suddenly ruin comes upon him. In an instant, he is crushed beyond cure. Hey, you got no crystal ball. There's no guarantee that you're going to have a long life till 80 or 90. Just like people who plan on their retirement. Oh, they saved up so much money and have plans of traveling the world. And then two days after their retirement, they're hit with a massive heart attack and die. Or fall down the steps and hit their temple on the corner of a step. Or for a more contemporary possibility, they develop a blood clot, perhaps, from these deadly vaccines and die on the operating table. Hey, all these things are possibilities and happen every day of our lives. We, we just don't hear about it because they're happening to somebody else for the time being. That's why it says in Sirach or Ecclesiasticus, it says, Delay not your conversion to the Lord. Put it not off from day to day. For suddenly his wrath flames forth. At the time of vengeance, you will be destroyed. Yeah, your life can end in a blink of an eye. Not to mention Jesus could come back a second time within a blink of an eye. Because how much more rotten can this world get? With pornography and the sex trade and rapes and pedophilia and baby killing and wars and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis and famines and droughts. Do you want me to go on? I don't think you do. In case you don't realize it, it's time to make a move. To become a Christian and bow down and follow Jesus Christ. Know who he is, what he said, and what he did. Take some effort. Or you can simply solidify your allegiance with Satan. Because it's one or the other. There's nothing in between. Like many times, there's nothing in between my feet and sneakers. And you know why? Because the elastic on the socks is way too tight. It blocks off my circulation. Causing indentions and gashes on my ankles. And I know this is an old man problem because I never had this situation when I was young. But nevertheless, it has to be dealt with, as we all know, because it gives my ankles more varicose veins and these black and bluish marks along with swelling up my feet. Yeah, they get swollen and bloated. So just like the soup Nazi said, just like he said, no soup for you. I say, no socks for me. And if you're over 50 and have this problem, it would be wise for you to do the same because your feet are going to keep swelling up until they look like two big boxing gloves or two big fat gourds or squash. Is there a difference between those two things? They both look a little weird to me. Hey, we got a call at 610 720 Seven nine zero zero. Who's this? Good morning, Robert. Hey, you want to have that looked into with those socks here, bud? That may be edema where you're taking all water, and that comes from your heart. So yeah, it's very uh, annoying. I don't like it. But if I don't wear socks, or if I wear them very loosely, then the problem doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, well, the, what I'm getting at is it's water. Your body's taking all water. It's a demon. It's also a heart problem. Oh, um, I don't like so that then, kind of news bringing me down like that. Well, sorry to be a negative nabob this morning, but I'm just looking after your health there, bud. All right. I will consider that. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Hey, look, could you uh, tell us about Christ going into the jails? Uh, I know you did that before. But uh, just what extent and what should people do when uh, the good book says people should go into the homes and the jails and so on? Well, it basically just says seek the lost. You know, you go out of your way to seek those who are lost and help them and spread the word of God as much as you can. 
Do you ever go into uh, any other jails other than down in Allentown? Or no? no, it's down in Easton. Uh, no, that's the only one I go to at this time. I mean, three hours on a Saturday. My voice gets a little hoarse after that. So um, yeah. maybe I will increase it one day. But for now, it, it seems to fit right nicely into my little old schedule there. Hey, last time um, the, the FBI guy was on last week, you enjoyed that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, but I could be on there for an hour because I really didn't get to the point that I wanted to. Well, I want you to explain right now uh, the fact about, well, we talked about it when he was with us, the FBI guy. And if you missed that, you got to go to the podcast and check that out. Uh, people say that was so, it's such an intelligent and and informative show. Uh, maybe, oh. I sh- maybe I should be serious like that all the time. No, nah, I can't do it. But anyway, uh, just just search "Don't Bring Up God" podcast FBI. That's what it's called. Now you you asked him about if somebody sees something like in nine eleven or any of these catastrophes and crises before, during, or after. Uh, what's the number to call? Number one and number two. You had an experience where you saw something with nine eleven up in your area, up north, not that far from New York, and you called. To, to report this. Now, what kind of response did you get from the person on the other end of the phone when you were trying to be a good citizen? Well, thanks for asking because uh, I've wanted to say this. And when I called the FBI, I did not get the response that I expected. I did not get Andy and Barney and little Mayberry with her clipboard saying, well, geez, let's talk and let's sit down and tell us what you know. What I got was a negative uh, intimidation where they said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are looking into this? Uh, What right do you have to investigate this? And it was outright intimidation. And you were very Uh, polite, right? You were very polite. When you talk to these people, right, you weren't telling them what to do or yelling at them, but yet you got that crap from them. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went a step further and talked to the assistant director, and I felt at that time uh, I was getting stonewalled, and I felt like the assistant director of the FBI was afraid. So if there's any FBI people out there listening, or CIA, or any other agencies, um, you know, the response that I got back then was outright pure intimidation. Who do you think you are? Why are you looking into this? You have no right to, you know, and and I was thinking, you know, there's something off. Was it a man or a woman that talked to you? Uh, women at first. Okay. Uh, for, uh, why do you think they did that to you? Well, look at, uh, look at what's going on with the Senate hearings down in Washington, D.C. Uh, Bush was, uh, the family, the presidents, they were head of security with those trade towers, uh, prior to those things, however they went down, whether it's thermite or drones or planes. And building number seven, which nothing touched that building, uh, had Enron and FBI files in it. And so what better way to get rid of evidence is to bring that that building down with evidence in there. And there's a whole pile of reasons that uh, the FBI uh, does not want inquisitive people milling about asking questions. And they cleaned that site up very quickly. They got that stuff out and shipped it out, and a lot of it was untested. I mean, they found that one funky thing you just mentioned earlier, um, indicating explosives. What was that word you used? Thermite. Thermite, yeah. What was that doing in there? So there's a lot of questions, and I don't like the idea of them shoving you away Maybe you were you and others are too close to the truth sometimes, and they stifle you. That's not their job. Well, I've seen Richard Gage three times, uh, once in Wilkesbury, another time in Scranton, and then out in, in uh, Montana, Bozeman, Montana, at a Red Pill conference where he had speakers from around the world come and speak. And uh, I handed him some information, but he seemed too... 
uh, interested in the good-looking lady that was tailing me and backing me. Yeah. And uh, so even his focus seemed to be off. Hey, and- if a citizen goes out of their way to contribute and maybe help a situation, they should be listened to, especially by our alphabet agencies. There's no excuse. Well, I mean, I did see something mathematically that you're not going to put together again. And uh, if somebody's having a party and they're part of the port of authority and they are part of the security for the port of authority and they're inviting, let's say, bin Laden to their party as the B-clown instead of a clown, so, you know, if you're going to have a party and you invite a clown to your party and you invite bin Laden to your party as the clown prior to the event, uh, I think it's worth listening to. I agree episode. 100%. Hey, thanks for the call. Remind everybody once again, as I always say, let's all say it together. All roads lead back to God. Tyler, we love you. We'll see you again. WAEB, Allentown. Listen on your free iHeartRadio app for all your music, radio, and podcasts.